0: You do. Father, we recognize this day. Not just because it's a day on the calendar, not just because of tradition, of church, not just because, uh, you know, it's what we do. Father, I thank you that today we recognize the resurrection of Jesus, and it's that resurrection that brings about a community of believers to come together and glorify you father i thank you for your resurrection because it is nothing but your resurrection that can bring us into relationship with you i thank you for the empty grave father i thank you for the cross i thank you for all of those things that point to our freedom from what the enemy would like to do to us father i thank you for making a way where there was no way and it was through your son jesus god i thank you and praise you for get to do today, what we're getting, get to, um, be a part of. And so God, I pray that your presence fill this place and open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to what you want to do, bringing heaven to earth through us in Jesus name. Amen. you would, would you uh, kindly turn around or look to your left or right and, and say hello to the person beside you? And say, he is risen. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, glad you all got up this morning. Bright eyed and bushy tailed, right? All right. Well, thank you so much for coming out today, guys. I I appreciate the support of um, you wanting to come to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. I want to just say, you know, along with Bailey, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And um, man, it's going to be a good day. My name is Darren Leghorn. I am the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And I'm also a co-founder of Cowboy Church, along with my wife, Lynette. Um, She is... uh, I, I feel like y'all like her better than me, <laughs> but I like her better than me too, so that's all right. Um, you know, we, are, uh, we co-founded this church, her and I founded this church in May of 2000, so we're coming up on our 22nd year, so it's, um, God is good, you know. Uh, as an average, most churches don't make it to year three uh, that are uh, solid church plants. But uh, anyways, um, it, it is such an honor to get to be here. I want to welcome our Facebook Live and our live stream people that are joining us this morning. Um, man, it's I'm glad you got up this morning. I hope you get a cup of coffee and sit down and, and listen to us. If you're listening to us in the car, keep your eyes on the road. And we would appreciate that. So anyways, uh, with that, we're going to get into this this morning. Um, man, we're, we're going to take communion in a little while. So, um, uh, be ready for that. And, um, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So this morning, um, I usually don't give away my message titles because I like to keep them secret. I like to build tension with them and stuff like that, but I'm just going to put it right out there. What the name of my message this morning is called the homecoming, the homecoming. And, and what I have found that when, um, you say the word homecoming, all of a sudden our minds go back to this high school thing or this college thing. And the cool thing about it is, is the word homecoming in its uh, original uh, use is an American word. And it's focused around um, home homecoming, of course, homecoming, uh, coming home. And the way that they came up with that was you know that some high schools, some communities, some colleges have this thing called homecoming, and what it means is that there is um people former members of a institution or alumni to a school or whatever they get they they spend their time there and then they go away and then every year they have a time where they come back yeah. Ain't that cool? They go away, and they come back. <laughs> it is a homecoming. It's coming back home. And because they have learned something and and gone and, and taken their identity and or finding their identity outside of that institution, maybe going to work somewhere, moving to another town, but then there's one time a year that that institution celebrates them coming back home. And, and so uh, in looking at that, I, I, I did, I went to high school, you know, I, I, in my brain. I, I did go to high school and I did graduate, but when I was thinking about this, the word homecoming automatically takes us back in time to 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 those kinds of celebrations that we had in, in school or whatever. And, and so homecoming for us in this um, culture that we live in, the society we live in, Homecoming to us is revolves around probably a football game, right? Uh, coming back home and going to a football game. Um, it, you know, there at the football game, there's royalty. There's an election of royalty. There's a homecoming king, homecoming queen, things like that. But what I have found is that homecoming, really, the kids these days, homecoming means a dance. They're they get to ask out a date and all that kind of stuff to go to a dance. And um, uh, there's these elaborate invitations. <laughs> I mean, they, creatively, I mean, high school kids are pretty cool because they come up with these cre- creative ways of asking their, um, you know, guys asking their girls to the dance, all that kind of stuff. And, and I was looking up uh, clever... Uh, homecoming invitations. I I just put that in Google, you know, and and it took me to Pinterest. I hate Pinterest, (laughs) but it was good for, it was good for what I was trying to find. And one of the elaborate invitations that I found was this, this boy took a pizza with inside of a to-go pizza box. And he um, had a cheese pizza with pepperonis that had a question mark, made a question mark on the pizza. And he flips (laughs) the lid open and it says, I know this sounds cheesy, but would you go to homecoming with me, right? Uh, another one that I saw, there was a cake with a cartoon whale, you know, fish whale, uh, that was on that, um, that thing, uh, cake. And his sign says, out of all the fish in the sea, will you come to homecoming with me. Oh, that was clever, wasn't it? If I was that girl, I'd say, no, you're weird. But for me, I was thinking about this, and I never went to homecoming dances. Okay, that's where you say, oh. Let me try it again. For me, I never went to homecoming dances. I thank you for your compassion. Um, To be quite honest with you, when I was in high school, I was working on my car and drag racing and stuff like that, I, was, I didn't even care about it. matter of fact, when I was thinking about it, I don't even remember that we had a homecoming at my school. Yep. But I went back and looked in the yearbook and saw that they had elected homecoming king and homecoming queen, so I figured that they probably had it. I just wasn't interested, and I didn't go. I barely went to prom <laughs> my senior year. Everybody told me I should, but I don't know. I didn't see the purpose in it. A lot of money spent. For nothing. Yep. <laughs> but they're good memories. Nah. Anyways, I didn't really experience homecoming until my kids got into high school. And when my kids got into high school I saw how big of a deal it was. I saw that they they felt like it was a big deal. So we did the whole homecoming thing and pictures and nice clothes and Elaborate invitations and all that good stuff. And uh, my son was um, royalty. He was elected royalty his freshman, sophomore, junior year. His senior year, he said, he told him, I don't want to do this. Let somebody else do it. How humble is he? (laughs) You're so humble. But but here's this homecoming idea. And um, I believe that we as Christians. We as people who follow Jesus, that there is a homecoming for us. There's a homecoming for Jesus because he died, went away, resurrected, went away, and he's coming back. There is a homecoming that's coming. We are in that same spot that that when we have uh, what he has given us, there's a day that we're going to go away and we'll come back with him should he Terry and not come back um, uh, until we die. But I think there's people here that's going to see his return and the return of all of the Christian Christians that are in heaven. And we will say, you know, everybody, all good preachers say Jesus is coming soon, right? <laughs> Heard it all my life. Haven't seen him come yet, but we're one day closer. Right. Amen? Yeah. So it, it really wasn't, um, you know, when I think about this homecoming thing, for the people of God, what is God's homecoming idea for us as Christians? It is called salvation. That is God's celebration, because when we give our lives to Jesus, when when we um, get saved, you know, you've heard that in church maybe. When you get saved, when salvation comes to us, it um, it, it it brings about. Uh, God's homecoming on the inside of us. There is a celebration that takes place. When we say yes to follow Jesus, there is a celebration that takes place in heaven. In Luke chapter 15, it says that all of heaven is filled with joy and celebration for one person, for one person yeah, right. that asked Jesus to come into their life, right, that, that, that begins to follow after Jesus. There's a whole celebration in heaven. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that that there's a great cloud of witnesses. It's those people who were uh, that that were uh, Christians on the earth, and then when they died, they went to heaven. Now they're sitting in this huge arena, watching our lives take place. And when somebody receives Jesus for the first time, all of heaven erupts. That great cloud of witnesses says yes. Amen. It is a celebration. It is a joy, and and so. With with all of that being said, uh, for us to understand God's um, um, homecoming, what God's homecoming is, what God's salvation is, then we we have to look at we have to start out and look at the creation story. In your Bible, in the very first book of your Bible, very first, first second and third chapters, talks about the story of creation. Um, you don't even have to go to church, and you probably know the story of creation. For six days, God created everything, the heavens and the earth. He created everything in it. And on the seventh day, he rested. But the cool crescendo of all that God did in creation came in the sixth day, on the sixth day of creation, and his last and final great thing that he did was create mankind. He went outside of the... The garden was planted by God, created by God. But he goes out into the wilderness just outside the garden. And he scoops up all this dirt and forms it into this funny-looking creature. And he gets down and he breathes life into this creature. And this creature stands up. And it is a man. And he called him Adam. And, And so Adam began to walk with God. God took him from the wilderness, made him in the wilderness... Took him into the garden, and in the garden, God began to walk with him. He saw that he needed a companion, so he removed a rib out of Adam's side and he built woman. And the way that woman got her name, woman, is because when God brought her to him, Adam goes, Whoa, man, she's hot. And so, women, you're a whoa, whoa man. <laughs> so, God positions Adam and Eve in the garden to maintain what the garden and to grow the garden and expand it all around the earth. And so, as, as God, um, God just didn't put them in the garden and walk away from things. God put him in the garden, and he says, I'm going to come and walk with you. And every day, God would come and walk with Adam and Eve and talk with them, and, and it was just a good time. One day, before God got there, there was a serpent, a snake, that came into the garden, or he was probably in the garden because he was one of God's creatures, but he was possessed by Satan, and Satan was in this snake. Now, if a snake comes up and talks to me, that's weird. But back then, they didn't find it too weird. So the snake comes up, and he, he begins to tell Eve that, you know, the, the, God placed two trees in the garden. He said, uh, the tree of life you can eat from, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil don't eat from that. So the snake comes in, and he says, hey, you know, God kind of is taking you on a, a trip here that you can't eat of that tree. So, I, you know, he's afraid that you're going to know as much as he does, so you need to go eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so you'll have that knowledge. And so Eve said, okay. She goes over and takes the fruit off of that tree, the forbidden tree, and she eats it, and then she gives some to her husband, and he eats it. And when they did... All of a sudden, their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they were afraid. Now, Discovery Channel ain't got nothing on Adam and Eve, because they're the original naked and afraid. And so they, they find that they're, they're naked, they're afraid, and, and so God comes walking to find them, and he can't find them because they're hid out. And God says, who told you that? And of course, you know, it was the snake, but all of a sudden the blame game starts happening. Adam says, well, it's that woman you gave me. (laughs) Guys, how many times have we done that? (laughs) Oh, this woman you gave me, God. Adam says, it's the woman. The woman said, it was the serpent. And the serpent said, it's your fault, God. And so God dealt with them in in that time. And because it was during that, not only were they naked and afraid, but now they let the door open for sin and death to come into the earth. There was no sin and death before that. And now sin and death comes into the earth. And so God confronts them in their disobedience. Here in in Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it says this, "...so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden." And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim, angels, to the east of the garden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Why did God do that? See, he comes in, and God comes in, and he has to evict Adam from the garden, because there's a tree of life there. It, the fruit on the tree of life was about giving uh, eternal life. It, it would, When they would eat of it, it would bring life to them. And when they ate of, the, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now death is on the inside of them. And if they were to make their way to the tree of life, living in death, they would live eternally in death, and there is no way that salvation could come to the earth. So God had to guard that tree so that they wouldn't, uh, so they wouldn't mess up the journey of salvation that God had. So God evicted them from the Garden of Eden, not because he was mad at them, although he was disappointed. See, my kids said, Dad, we would rather you be mad at us than disappointed in us. Disappointed hurts worse. But see, God wasn't mad. He was disappointed at what happened, but God knows everything. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. And so in this, in this story, God um, keeps them. He protects them from the tree of life. And so the big thing that I believe that Adam and Eve saw that they didn't have anymore was the intimate conversations that they had with God in the garden. Now they're outside the garden. Now God doesn't come into that part of the thing, uh, part of the earth, because their sin and death now owns. And, and God doesn't have sin and death on the inside of him. Amen? Amen? So there's the creation story. Adam loses everything that God gave him. He lost the, the, the intimate conversations that God had for him. So now, fast forward from that story 2,000 years, and this is the Exodus story. The next story that we see is the Exodus story. And that is the story where God's people, all of Israel, were enslaved in bondage to Egypt. If you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, you know this story. You don't even have to read your Bible, but just see that movie, and you'll know about this About what goes on in this in this uh, Exodus story, so the people of God are in slavery to Egypt for four hundred and I think thirty years or something like that they 've been slaves for a long time and and egypt is is abusing them as slaves. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, mandated because he felt like that there were so many Israelites that they were enslaved to, that if their population got too big, they would overcome Egypt and, and take over them. So he didn't want that to happen. So he mandated that all the first or all the um, uh, male babies would be killed. As soon as they were born, he commanded the midwives to kill the babies when they were born uh, of the Hebrews. And so uh, he mandated that. But there was one lady, one Hebrew woman that gave birth to a son and she secretly put him in a basket and sent him down the river. And when he went by the royal palace, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's daughter, found Moses and brought him in as her own. And she raised him in the palace. Here's a Hebrew that was a slave now being raised in the palace. And and he's you know he's got he's got it good, I mean he's doing good in that place. And when, um, through, you know, just speeding up the time here a little bit, as um, Moses, as a Hebrew raised in the Egyptian royalty, through a series of events, he left when he was forty years old. He left because there was some things going on. Basically, he got evicted out of Egypt. And he left and he went to the wilderness. You've heard that before, haven't you? He went to the wilderness and it was there for 40 years that he found his identity and purpose because as he's tending to sheep at 80 years old, he sees a bush burning up on the mountain, but it's not being consumed. So he goes up there to check things out. And as he walks in, God begins to speak to him and give him his purpose and identity. He's 80 years old. And God says, this is your purpose, is you were called for this time to go and free my people. Go and talk to Pharaoh and free my people. You need to rescue my people. What did Moses find there at the burning bush? But he found an intimate conversation with God. Hang on to that for a minute. God told him that he was going to go rescue his people. So Moses finally went back to Egypt. And when he walked into Egypt and he found Pharaoh, set up a meeting with Pharaoh, uh, he confronted Pharaoh with uh, the idea of freeing Israel and letting them go home. Letting them come home. Letting them have a homecoming. That's what Moses went to uh, to, to Pharaoh about. In Exodus chapter 12, um, you will see uh, the the play or ten, eleven, and twelve things like that in Exodus. You will see that Mo that Pharaoh refused to let the people go. So there were ten plagues that came upon Egypt to try to convince Pharaoh that the Israelites needed to go. So there was plagues of frogs, plagues of lice, the water turned to blood, hail coming from heaven. Um, man, it was just a it it was a What do they call that? Like a a crap show, you know, in Egypt. (laughs) Things were happening, but Pharaoh kept refusing until they got to the 10th plague. On the 10th plague, the final plague, Moses went in and he he told Pharaoh, he said, death is going to come. The spirit of death is going to roll through Egypt. And when it does, it is going to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. All the firstborn of Egypt is going to die. The very thing that, he, that Pharaoh tried to do to the, uh, to, the, to the Israelites is now going to happen to him. Right. And, and so God commanded um, Moses to gather the people of Israel. He went to Goshen where they lived. And, and he said, look, here's, here's what God is telling us to do. On the 14th day of the month, the Hebrew month of Nisan, he says what we're going to do is we're, God has called us to take a baby lamb, that's a pure lamb, and we're going to cut its throat, bleed it out, put it on the grill, and we're going to eat it that night. (laughs) But here's the important part, is that God says to take the blood of that lamb that you bled out, and you're going to take some hyssop, uh, hyssop branch, and you're going to dip that branch into the blood, and you're going to paint your doorway with blood. He said, put the lamb's blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, or the header of the, of the front of the house, and everybody then goes inside and waits for the death angel to come through. And so as, as the Hebrews did that, God's people stayed behind the doors. They stayed behind the door that had the blood. Because it was the blood, when the death angel came through, it was the blood that kept the death angel out and away from the people. And, And when the death angel came and saw the blood, he passed over that. That's where we see on our calendars, Passover And and the cool thing about it is, is this year, we're setting not only uh, Easter and and resurrection of Jesus, we're also seeing Passover hit at the same time. We're walking through Passover right now. So Pharaoh, after the firstborn of all of Egypt, I mean, animals, everything that was firstborn died, then Pharaoh said, all right, you people get out of here. He released them to go back to the land. He released them and sent them into their homecoming. So when we look at the stories like that in, in the, especially in the Old Testament, the cool thing is is Colossians chapter two verse seventeen says that they, those things are a shadow of things to come so let 's for, fast forward again another two thousand years. And now Jesus, this this man named Jesus, was born to a woman who was a virgin. He was an immaculate conception, and he was born in this earth as God's son. Jesus growing up was perfect. The Bible says he was perfect. Now that puts a lot of pressure on his siblings. You know, he's the firstborn, and he's perfect, does nothing wrong, never sins. And, uh, you know, the other kids are going, dude, stop. Just mess up a little bit you' putting a lot you' putting a lot on us that 's why when jesus Jesus would go and uh, preach in their hometown, his brothers and sisters didn 't want anything to do with him he 's too perfect for them, and so uh, here um, Jesus is born into this earth, lives a sinless life he 's perfect. And the cool thing about it is he walked, not because he was perfect, because he was, but because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He walked in the miracle power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Yes. He walked in miracle power. There's miracle signs and wonders that, that were performed through Jesus. So here's where the story gets rich. This salvation story that God is, is journeying in. Did I say that right? Journeying in. And so in the New Testament, in First in Corinthians chapter 15, it says the first Adam, the Adam in the garden, it was the first Adam that brought sin and death into the earth. But it says it's the last Adam, picturing Jesus, it's the last Adam that becomes a life-giving spirit. To get death out of the way, there had to be Jesus who brought salvation. Jesus would often be found in his ministry from from the time his ministry started, he would often be found by his disciples in a garden somewhere. See, Adam got kicked out of a garden. Jesus in his goodness and the fullness of who he was, now would go to a garden and he would begin to have intimate conversations with his father, God. And he would often be found in a garden praying. It was those garden moments, those garden moments where, where God began to download into Jesus his salvation. The salvation of God begin to be downloaded. What is going to... The plan for salvation would begin to um, become knowledge to Jesus. He found out that He was the one that was going to go to the cross. It was in those garden moments where God downloaded His salvation plan to redeem or buy back mankind. Everything that Adam lost. Now, Jesus has in His hand to be the salvation. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was about six months older than Jesus, but he had a ministry all his own because he was baptizing people and and preparing them for the coming of the Messiah. And one day, John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness. He's preaching, he's baptizing, and he looks up and sees Jesus coming toward him. And when Jesus was coming toward him, John the Baptist said twice, he says, behold. In other words, he's telling the people, look at this dude coming. Look at this guy, because this guy is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did the Exodus story tell us? That it was the lamb, the blood of the lamb that would protect and bring salvation to the people behind the door. Now John the Baptist is is proclaiming that Jesus is the lamb of God. He is that Passover lamb. He's the perfect lamb that would be executed in order to pay for the sin of the world that Adam let in 4,000 years before. At 33 years old, here's this Jesus. This Jesus that we really put an emphasis on this weekend, the Easter weekend or resurrection weekend or Passover weekend. Um, the, The thing about it is, is that Jesus is the reason, right? Because here at this time when he is arrested, Jesus is arrested for being perfect. He is uh, falsely accused as a bad person. He is beaten with a whip within inches of his life. He was spit on. He was ridiculed. He was humiliated. He was stripped naked. And he was nailed to beams of wood. In Luke chapter 23 verse 32. And I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation today. I want, to, I want to bring you to this point before we get any further. The Bible says here, Luke 23, verse 32, it says, two criminals were led away with Jesus and all three were to be executed together. And when they came to the place that is known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him, to the center, uh, nailing him on the center cross between the two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The soldiers, after they crucified him, gambled over his clothing. A great crowd gathered to watch what was happening. <clears throat> the religious leaders sneered at Jesus and mocked him saying look at this man what kind of chosen messiah is he he pretended to save the save others but he can't even save himself the soldiers joined in the mockery and uh, by um, by offering Jesus a drink of vinegar over Jesus head on the cross was written the inscription in greek <clears throat> in greek latin and aramaic this man is the king of all the Jews. And all the soldiers laughed and scoffed at him, saying, Hey, if you're, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, What kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, Don't you fear, don't you fear God? You're about to die. We, we deserve to be condemned for we're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus responded and he said, I promise you this very day you will enter paradise with me. You will enter paradise. I love that word paradise. I was looking at that word, and the word paradise is a Persian word. It's a it's a Middle Eastern word. And it means a walled garden. He said, today you'll be with me in a walled garden. When you die, you're going into paradise. You're going into this you're going to be with me into this walled garden. Garden, a garden is a portrait of a home in that culture. I was listening to one of my guys that I like to hear preach. His name is Judah Smith. And I was listening to Judah preach and he said this about about this piece of, of uh, what paradise is. He said, the word home is a wall-defined, bordered, secure space where we enjoy intimate conversation. He says the word paradise is that, that whenever that idea came into play in, in Persia, over in the Middle East, it says when a, he said, when a Persian king wished to give special honor to someone dear to him, he made that person a companion of the garden and gave him the right to walk in the royal garden with him, the king, in intimate companionship. See, Adam had that. He lost that. But Jesus turned back to this guy and he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be in my home. You'll be in my garden when you leave this place. That's why God said, um, you know, in my house are are many mansions. It's those, Lynette was telling me that the word mansion is not plural, it's singular. Every one of us have a place in paradise, that garden with God, when you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, when you've... Purpose to follow after him. Does that make sense? So there at the crucifixion, even the executioners were trying to that were trying to humiliate Jesus. They elected him as the homecoming king. They said he's the king of the Jews. They were trying to make fun of him. But he was elected royalty. Just like at homecoming. Jesus is our homecoming king. Amen. So the journey of salvation that God was getting done was completed by God, uh, by the crushing of his son, Jesus. Jesus' cross was soaked with blood. His blood was all over that cross. And when his blood began to sink into the wood, Jesus became the doorway to paradise. Amen. Amen. It was Jesus' blood in on that cross, just like the doorway in the Exodus story that was painted with the blood of the Lamb. Now the blood of the Lamb hangs on a cross, and His blood on that cross became the doorway into salvation. It became an elaborate invitation to the homecoming that God had for us. See, the cross was the entry door into God's rescue, into God's salvation. Just like the door in Egypt was their salvation. In John 14, Jesus said, told his disciples, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That was the door. Jesus outstretched arms, and every ounce of blood being leaked out of his body, bought and paid for salvation. If the cross is the doorway in, then the open tomb, three days later, was the exit out into a garden. If you read the story of Jesus' burial, it says that his tomb was bought and paid for in a garden. He wasn't in a cemetery. He was in a garden. So we get to enter through the door of the cross and through his resurrection, we enter into his garden paradise to walk with him. Jesus' resurrection would make salvation sustainable. I know that none of us are perfect. None of us are Sinless. But when we come into the saving knowledge of Jesus and salvation happens in our life, now, now we become a part of his family. We become a part of salvation and we can begin to have intimacy with God again. All that Adam lost is now restored. Because by Jesus' death on the cross, this is the homecoming. Okay. This is the homecoming. So what I'd like to do now is, is we're going to pass out communion. Uh, we've got the ushers coming. Um, go ahead, guys. You can, you can start passing out communion. Um, here's the deal. We're, don't When you get it, don't eat it because we're all going to eat it together. We're all going to take it together, okay? So hold on to it for just a minute while... Uh, while we're going there, worship team, you can come on up and, um, get set as well. Um, so this is, this is the deal. Communion, a lot of times in Christian circles is kind of controversial because there are, there are some, if you could set it down here, um, there are some churches and there are some Christian circles. There's some, uh, places that say that, that communion uh, becomes a part of you once you ingest that. It's Jesus' body actually coming to be a part of you. Uh, you know, people have just weird ideas about communion. The one thing that I'm going to ask you, that when you take communion, let's not take it in, with commonality. The Bible says that don't take it unworthily. The word unworthily means that if we um, if we take it because it's just, Cracker, of juice, then it's common. But this represents God. This represents Jesus, who died for your sin. The bread is representative of His body. The 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 grape juice is uh, a picture of His or a symbol of His blood, and all of those things have uh, uh, meaning to all of us. And, and so, um, when you get communion, just hold on to it for a minute. What I, what I want to do at this point is every head up, every eye open, everyone looking around. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you've never committed to follow him, this would be a time to do it. Before you take communion, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, or you've never said yes to him, I want to lead you through a quick prayer. And, and keep your eyes open so you can see the elements come down the row. It's okay to pray with your eyes open, especially if you're driving. Um It's okay. But this is what I I want you to do. If you've never said, Jesus, come into my life. If you've never asked him to be a a part of your life, now is the time to do it. So I want to pray this prayer, and I want you to pray after me, even if you've prayed something similar before. But I want you to pray after me. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And this day, I believe, represents your salvation journey through Jesus Christ is mine today I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I believe that he died on the cross I believe he was resurrected from the dead and today I believe that I am a Christ follower in Jesus name Amen. if you prayed that prayer today you are a believer God's full work of salvation has come, and it is yours. Amen? So, is everybody served? Is everybody good? Anybody need anything? All right, we're going to jump right into this. So the first element in the communion is the cracker or the, the little piece of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And on that night that he was at the Last Supper he was um telling his disciples he said this bread that you're eating is a symbol of my body which it will be broken for you it's just a matter of hours for his um his passion began and the crushing of his body began he said this is my body which is broken for you for us this means that everything that is not of god in our life is broken the power of it is broken The chains of bondage are broken because Jesus' body was broken for us. Addiction is broken. Diagnosis is broken. Heartbreak is broken. Everything is broken in his body that we give to him for his brokenness. So if you would, take that cracker in your hand and we're going to pray and bless it. Father God, we thank you for this bread. We thank you, God, that, remember, that, that reminds us of your son, Jesus. And it's through this bread that your body was broken for us. Father, it is, it is done in us. It is completed. The, the brokenness we're giving to Jesus right now through this community. So God, we take this in honor of your son, Jesus, in Jesus' name. All right, go ahead and eat. and you got a dry mouth, anyways, sucks any moisture that you have out. But now we take the cup. The cup represents Jesus' blood. And and Jesus' blood, better set that down for us, it. Jesus' blood, Jesus said that everything was completed and sealed through the blood. The brokenness that we had now begins to be put back together and sealed up because jesus has taken that he said this is my blood that seals the new covenant the promises of god in our life so when we drink this blood or drink this juice it represents the blood of jesus that brings completeness to salvation amen so father in jesus name we thank you for the blood we thank you for this this uh grape juice that represents your blood. And I thank you that everything that we are in Christ Jesus is sealed. All your promises are sealed on the inside of us. All your promises have been given to us and we thank you for your blood and we receive it now in Jesus name. Amen.